Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. I am so blessed. 
and we were like, it must be such a strong energy. And I spoke to my friend who's a pharmacist and at the CDC, and they were also saying the similar thing, that they're seeing that this is really a quite of a strong cold season and the importance of taking care of ourselves. Suzanne, in your book, The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care, you discuss the tragic loss of your 22-year-old daughter, Teal, and how it actually led you to become an incoherent lump on the bed. And I can only imagine. Could you tell us a little bit about the life of Teal and actually what happened? Yes. Thank you for asking. So, you know, you very eloquently described my situation at the time of her death, that I was wound up in myself so tightly I had trouble seeing other people and really seeing them if you know what I mean. I saw them moving around me, but I couldn't feel them. Mm-hmm. And I hope if I cry a little, it'll be okay. <laughs> because the memory of Teal is so extraordinarily sweet because she was the opposite of me. She was a mm. highly compassionate person. She was deeply empathetic, and her friends used to call her Quan Yin as a nickname, the goddess of compassion. <laughs> the night of her collapse, I had dinner with her, and I was very much interested in impressing her with a new friend I'd brought to dinner, and I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the fact that she was acting very spacey and very weird, not making much conversation. She was an hour late. She was very focused on her dinner. It was really unusual behavior for her. Mm -hmm. Teal had epilepsy, and that was a very well-controlled case. She took her meds for it, seldom ever had a seizure But what I didn't realize at the time is that one in a thousand epileptics can suddenly die from something called sudden unexpected death in epilepsy. Mm. And really, it's not well understood. And basically, that's what happened to her. She went home from dinner. I was so full of my own agenda, I didn't even drive her home. I had a friend give her a lift, regardless of the fact that she was acting spacey and weird. And the friend delivered her to her house and watched her stagger up the stairs and go into her apartment. And the guy who was her housemate didn't even notice her come in. She went into the bathroom, locked the door, and collapsed into an empty bathtub in what might have been a full seizure, but ultimately was a full cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. He tried to save her life about 15 to 30 minutes later when he came in and found her and was unable to get her heart started, but the EMTs did. And for six days, she was in a coma. And then at the end of that six days, when they could finally get a good look at her brain, they found that she was really unable to sustain life. And she'd been on a heart pump and so forth. So Mm -hmm. she passed away. We took her off life support, and she died. And her organs were donated, and her heart and her kidney were given to a young woman her age, just a little older than her. Her mother and I have since become extremely connected to each other. And I have learned so much about compassion and healing. And that next two years was so much about recognizing what had to change. You know, that night when I walked into the hospital room and I saw her lying on the bed, I just knew my life had to change. I knew I couldn't continue the way I was. I knew it was wrong. I knew I was focused on money. I knew I had lost my heart. I knew I was doing work I didn't even care about, that I was really a writer, and I'd always been a writer. I'd even published several books, but I'd wandered away from it because the money was going to be in Internet marketing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm embarrassed Mm -hmm. to say, but that's the truth. And I knew I had to become a better person, so I spent that next two years 
living very, very simply in a friend's borrowed guest room and not really doing much of anything but becoming a better person and grieving. It was a very, very powerful experience in self-care. And, you know, the day before her collapse, she called me up and said, I think I'm going to have a really big seizure. And I said, do you want me to come right now? Do you want me to take you to the hospital? Do you want me to take you to the neurologist? No, no, no. She refused all that support. She said, I think this is connected to the purpose of my life, and I want to be a person who heals women and girls from suffering and anxiety. And a lot of what I do in my self-care work is help people who are suffering and have hard lives, a lot of anxiety and The power of self-care is so fundamental to helping all of us Mm -hmm. cope with these things. Indeed. Well, how are you doing now? It's been a few years. In the years since she's died, it's been seven and a half years. Well, now, of course, my life is tremendous. (laughs) You wouldn't think Mm -hmm. it, right? You'd think that was it. I kind of lost the possibility for joy in my life, but it didn't happen. And what happened instead was that I found my way back to me. And I began writing essays as soon as she passed away. Writing was the only way I could process what had happened and find the lessons. You know, I had a career as an author for some years before I left Mm -hmm. it. And it was always my way to figure out what was really happening. So I was writing all these blogs, hundreds of them. And in them were all these lessons that were so clear to me about how to be a better person. So I began kind of writing my way through this, basically. And now I'm happily married. I had left my marriage to Teal's father just a few years before she died, and I had really dramatically changed my life. I came to California, and I ended up staying in California and really meeting the love of my life and also beginning this work, which has been so profound and so great, and publishing my first book in 15 years. And now I have a Facebook group that I tend lovingly and carefully that's like a big garden where people come in. Anybody, any woman who wants self-care comes in and learns what our issues are. And we all support each other in the way that I think Teal would have been very, very proud. And doing the podcast, of course, and all of it, it's just so healing to me. It's healing to other people. And it really keeps her flame alive because she was a healer. And listen, she wanted to be a healer before her death. She really wanted to be a healer. And she felt something big, quote, unquote, something really big is going to happen that's going to give me my healing gift. She said it again and again. she's moved on to, you think? Absolutely. I felt her around me many, many times. And people will read her story. They read the quotes from her journal that are in my book. Because she was exceptional, she would receive these channeled quotes all the time, and she wrote them down in a notebook. Mom, I'm getting all these weird little quotes when I meditate. What do they mean? (laughs) And I'd say, I I think you should just write them down all in one place. And I was just being organized. I didn't realize that this notebook was going to become this fundamental treasure that I would use to guide me through my quest for self-care. But it has. So when we look at self-care, it means different things to different people. Many times my staff and friends will always tell me, Sister Jenna, please, you know, take care of yourself. You're such a workaholic. Or they say, come on, let's get out and play some golf. You're just always working. And I'm like, I'm not working. I'm having fun. And yeah. then eventually I'll, okay, come and pick me up. Let's go hit a few. Right. You know, exactly. Let's get on the course. So it means different things for many of us. What does it mean to you and 
maybe what was the biggest self-care lesson that you learned at the time? Well, to take the first question, Sister Jenna, what self-care means to me is that it's an inside job. We can get facials. We can go out with the girls for martini night, whatever we think self-care is as a fun or healing activity. But if our life is not in alignment, if we don't have fundamental joy in our life, if something is off, if our relationship is stressful, if our work is unfulfilling, if our relationship with our children or our elders or even our neighbors is a problem, we are going to be patching up things that don't fit. To me, self-care is about going in and fixing the things that are out of whack and that it is doable and it is easier than most people think because all you have to do is begin by telling the truth about it, which is why this book has a lot of workbook pages and checklists and questionnaires and journaling prompts and all sorts of things which people can engage in. I mean, I made them as fun as I could because I happen to think this stuff is fun. (laughs) Self-care nerd that I am. I made them as engaging as I could because I do think that self-care is about getting into alignment with the perfect self that you were when you were born. We were all born with a perfect alignment. Our desires, our needs, they were all meshed. We asked for what we wanted, we got it. If we didn't get it, we let people know until we did get it. We were Mm -hmm. able to function in the world as clear little human beings. And then over the years, that changed. We became confused about whether it was okay to ask for help. We started to not even know what we needed. We stopped being able to listen to ourselves and acknowledge when something is wrong. One of the really big gifts of that two-year period of grief was that it forced me to acknowledge all the different things in my life that were not working and tell the truth about them. And the other thing I was able to do, which I'd never done in my entire life, was ask for help. And Mm. asking for help and receiving it and being gracious and letting people support you is a very key piece of self-care. And that would be the biggest thing I learned. You know, I went into recovery. I went to recovery groups for a couple of problems I had that were addictive behaviors. I went to a grief support group for people who had lost children. I went to a grief therapist. I mean, these were free programs offered by the local hospice, the uh, grief groups and the grief therapy. And apparently Mm -hmm. this is something hospices have in many communities. So if anybody is listening to this and they've experienced a loss, whether it happened in that hospice or not, which mine certainly did not, I recommend people get a hold of those folks and find out what they're doing for the community because they often have great outreach. So, yeah, self-care is about all that returning to the self. Why do you think it's sometimes hard for women to ask for help? (laughs) It's Mm. such a phenomenon. We don't want to be seen as weak. We don't want to burden other people. This feeling of putting a burden on everyone else, yeah. That's right. And in my group, I ask women coming in, what is your biggest self-care challenge? I ask everybody this. And they all say the same thing. I feel guilty taking time for myself. How can Mm. I take time for myself when I have to take care of everybody else? And Mm. I really deconstruct this in my work because I really ask people to think about what the excuse is they give themselves. Oh, I can't ask for help because nobody else would do it as well as I do. 
Somebody else mm-hmm. will be offended. My fill-in-the-blank needs me right now. I mean, sure. sometimes we do have responsibilities. That's true. But balance is the key. If we never take care of ourselves, if we are constantly doing all the housework, doing the full-time job, checking in with the elders, making the casseroles for church, whatever we're doing, when do we get to take care of us? Right. So based on the beginning part of our conversation, there was a feeling that you were more focused on what you needed to do for you and all of these things, and you just missed seeing people. Are you seeing people more now? And how is that feeling? You know, the most interesting thing happened while I was going through this, what I really consider to be a transformation process. Teal came to me in dreams, in waking visions, in times when I might have been open and listening. And her energy guided me to slow down and start to listen to people. And I was always go, 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 get things done. It's all about the to-do list. Then when I slowed down and I began to listen to people, I realized how interesting they were. And I really began to enjoy just sitting across a table or sitting around with others who I didn't really know. And I've met many, many, many people I didn't know. I mean, I was pretty much alone when she died because my relationship mm-hmm. had just ended. I'd given up the house that we had shared I was driving around California trying to figure out where I wanted to live. My business had just ended. Everything was open. So I had nothing. A rough time. Oh, yeah. A time. And a huge letting go. So I figured might as well just listen. And I found that people are wonderful and people are fascinating. And it's a joy to actually relax enough to listen to somebody. You learn a lot. Mm-hmm. I get that. That's beautiful. So what are a few of the myths that basically rule overworked lives and What is the truth that will set us free from them? (laughs) Listen, some of those myths are kind of what I was alluding to a few minutes ago. One is we can't ask for help. One is we have to do it all ourselves or it won't be good enough. You know, there's a couple of things in my mind. Jumping back to this idea that we can't ask for help, I had asked the question of the group, what would you do if you had ten times more courage? And there was a woman in my group, she posted about a week later, well, I thought for me it would be quitting my job, so I just went in to quit my job and an amazing thing happened. My boss really let me know that he couldn't let go of me because I was too important to the company, so we renegotiated my deal and I'm now going to work half time for the same money. (laughs) And what that means is somebody asked for help. They spoke up for themselves. I think one of the myths is, You can't speak up for yourself, that nobody will give you what you want, that you can't actually meet your needs. These are really key myths. And also that you're responsible for other people's messes. You know, we all know somebody, whether it's in our personal life or our professional life, who has problems and everybody curries around to help them. Well, sometimes Mm -hmm. those people are very well served by being given some space and some supportive loving kindness and letting them solve the problem for themselves because they become empowered. People who think they just want to reach for the nearest low-hanging fruit that will help them through something, but in fact stepping up and doing the hard work is where the real change will happen and they will ultimately benefit. 
Well, you stop being an enabler for them so that they they become handicapped. There's no doubt. I get that. So with so many people feeling stressed and experiencing a lot of fear and anxiety, can you share with us some tips for our listeners to create more self-care in their lives? Absolutely. One of the things I really like to talk about is creating habit stacks. And let's also talk about what a really good habit is because we know that self-care behavior needs to be habitual to really happen. For instance, stretching in the morning. You wake up, you're a little stiff. Ten minutes of stretching can make your day go so much better. It can help you heal the parts of your body that are not working particularly well. And it's hard to get yourself to do it sometimes. So what if you began with what some call the mini habit of just one stretch? I will touch my toes once. I will stretch overhead for five seconds, a very tiny bit of time. If you just are happy with that, suddenly a strange thing happens and you want to do more. This was created by a guy who started to do push-ups this way, and he gave himself permission to do one push-up. And suddenly he just really wanted to do five, and then he was doing ten, and Mm -hmm. and then he challenged himself, and it became a game. So mini habits are a very nice way to start building self-care into your life. But then here's where the habit stacks come in. When you create a habit stack, what you do is you combine multiple habits. So habits work through triggers. If you wake up, that's your trigger that you need to go into the bathroom, and that's your trigger that you might want to wash your face, and that's your trigger that, oh, I need my coffee. Whatever your triggers are, they all work in response to each other. So a habit stack is I'm going to give myself five minutes of stretching, and that's naturally going to bring up the desire over time as I develop this program to maybe write in my journal for 10 minutes or waking up. I meditate. You wake up and you meditate. It's like the minute I've kind of taken care of myself as soon as i gotten out of bed in the morning, I come back and I meditate. And when you meditate, that can lead you into a lovely kind of altered, happy, relaxed feeling That might be the trigger to bring up the stretching. You see, it's like layering things one after another. And if you don't have time for this, speaking to you extremely busy women, Mm -hmm. that's when we want to ask for help. That's when we want to, say, get our children to help do the housework, get our Mm -hmm. spouses to manage the breakfast and morning rush. You know, whatever it takes, we are entitled to ask for that help and get that extra support. We really, really are. Beautiful. You know what? Sometimes the hardest thing is to ask for the self-support, for get the support again. Yeah, it's really weird. But the good thing is that we're in an age where we're being given more the permission and we're feeling a sense of tribal collective link that it's okay to say, I'm not okay. Recently I had, we didn't meet eye to eye between myself and some friends and They had a perception, and I had a perception, and it was so challenging for me to try to articulate the intentionality of the scene that had occurred between us. And I had just raised one question. I said, did you even have the thought? And when my friend said, no, I didn't think about it, I go, that's what I'm trying to say. That's the part that I'm saying. Like, how could you not have even had the thought? And again, it had reached a point like, you don't understand what we're trying to say. And I go, I guess I don't. But it's that whatever I do, I include my friends and I have the thought. So my question to myself here is sometimes why is it that we don't catch the thought that we need to catch 
for example, to deal with a relationship or to heal our hearts or to take care of ourselves? Do we have to wait for a tragedy to occur (laughs) to say you need to take care of yourself or do you have a step or two that we can start to at least apply to help us to say I'm going to get there one morning, I am going to get up, and I'm going to take care of me? Well, I'll tell you, for me, the tragedy was already happening in my life when I was doing work I didn't love and I was so focused on it and things were falling away from me. So to your point, do we have to wait for a tragedy? No. But we have to be willing to look at the things that are uncomfortable, the things that don't fit, the things we all experience every day. Anger with somebody or feeling resentful about having to do some tasks we don't want to do or the feeling that we can't quite ask those kids to do the vacuuming or whatever it is. We have to notice and tell the truth about the things that don't work. That is fundamental to self-care. And when we do, a shocking thing happens. One after another, things start to fall into alignment because who's showing up for the party? We are. We are often absent in our own lives. And let me tell you, Sister Jenna, I think this is really partly a symptom of our addiction to phones and the small Mm. screen and our need to constantly be distracted with information, with email, with texting. And I'm just as bad as everybody else, but I'm going to tell you, we lose our compassion and we lose the default setting in our brains, which is that delicious creative place we go to when we're just sitting around. That very kind of unplugged place is a fertile place for the imagination. And Mm, when we go there, we solve problems naturally. The challenge would be don't pull out your phone and look at it while you're eating your sandwich at lunch. Just sit there and eat. Mm -hmm. And yes, you're eating. That is an activity. But your mind has the space to come in and tap you on the shoulder and say, you know what, X, Y, Z doesn't work. You know what? Mm -hmm. Here's a solution to that problem. These are the insights that are waiting to be heard by us, but we cannot provide them because we don't have time to hear them because our minds are so busy being overly occupied. Yeah, I get that. Thank you for sharing. It's been very clear and very beautiful. In your book, you have something called habit stacking. Yes, (laughs) habit stacking is this idea that you can wake up in the morning And you can begin to do things that fall into line, that sequentially follow each other. I was mentioning this a few minutes earlier. This is great for people who need to do something where they just hate to do it, but they know it's good for them. It might be stretching. It might be going to the gym. For Pete's sakes, we have many gym resistors in our world. And the key to that is to make it fun for yourself and to conjoin those events, going to the gym with sitting in the steam room, with taking a friend perhaps. It's combining these self-care activities so you really will get the job done. Mm, Lovely. Well, I'm one of those gym folks. I just feel like I'd rather go and do the grass or the lawn instead of going to a gym. (laughs) And that's okay. I'm a gardener myself, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, getting in the garden, we all know you can burn, I don't know, 400 calories an hour or something working in a garden. So I'm all for that, and I make no distinction. I use the gym as a, oh, I suppose it's kind of a metaphor for all things exercise. So what's next to Suzanne Falter? Well, I'm glad you asked. I am busily enjoying creating my podcast and speaking about self-care, 
But I'm also, as I mentioned at the top of our conversation, I give talks to the healthcare professionals with my dear friend Debbie, whose daughter Amara received Teal's heart and kidney. And we talk about the healing power of crisis and our experience, hers as an organ recipient mom and mine as an organ donor mom. And this has been such an extraordinary experience in humanity, in interconnectivity, in being different people, because we are very different, and yet we've come together in this way that's so fundamental because, you know, we all have a heart, we all have a kidney. <laughs> doesn't matter our politics, doesn't matter our gender, sexual orientation, whatever. None of it matters. What matters is that we're all human and we're all together on this planet trying to figure out how to get along. And so I've been working on a memoir for a while about the organ donation experience, which I'm hoping to finish by the summer. And Debbie and I will be creating a podcast about this as well. To be determined, news of which will be shared on my own podcast, Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women. So tell me about the podcast. Where can we listen to it? Oh, yeah. It's on iTunes, Spotify. It's on all the major networks for podcasting. And really what we do, it's about half an hour of the shows, and I have done maybe 70 episodes now. It's growing by leaps and bounds. We've doubled our listeners just in the last three months. And people are just coming out of the woodwork wanting this message about self-care. And Each show I begin by sharing one of the essays I've written that really taught me a lot about how to be a better person, all sorts of little lessons about how to get angry or the things I learned in a crisis or how to set boundaries. These are fundamental things. And then I either spend the remainder of the show speaking with an expert in the field of self-care, and I've had some fantastic people on. The medical correspondent for CBS News came on. She just wrote a book about self-care herself in which she tried a different self-care activity for a full month for an entire year and what worked and what didn't and what was important and what wasn't, and that was fascinating. And another thing I do is I share my own takes. You know, sometimes I do the show and I talk about how to get angry responsibly. Or the most recent one was, do we need to keep apologizing for everything? When is an apology appropriate? When isn't an apology appropriate? As women, we are so compassionate, we're often over-apologizing, just like we're often over-producing and trying to push through doing too much stuff when we don't want to do that much stuff. Mm -hmm. That's a really key thing. I think one of the myths, so you had asked me earlier about the myths in the workplace, Mm -hmm. one of the myths is we have to do so much stuff that we can't relax and take time for ourselves, i.e. take a proper lunch hour. An awful lot of women cannot take a lunch hour. They're too busy being concerned with trying to hang on to looking good enough. They don't realize, like the woman who tried to quit and got the much better deal, they don't realize how valuable they actually are. Overproduction Mm. is one of our biggest issues as women. Yes, I totally agree with you on that. Suzanne Folder, thank you so much for joining us on air today and for sharing your vibrant spirit. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to share and a website that our listeners can contact you to learn more about your podcast and your blogs as well. Oh, yeah. Well, all of it can be found at SuzanneFalter.com, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, F like Frank, A-L, 
tlikeTomER.com, SuzanneFalter.com. Full description of all the podcast episodes, my entire blog with hundreds of essays is there. Also a link to the self-care group for extremely busy women on Facebook. That's a lot of fun. You know, you just ask to be included and you will be included. And we are looking for anybody who wants to come in and talk about self-care, busy women. So that's the best way to find out. And the book, of course, is called The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. And it's available on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. Sounds perfect. Many blessings to you. And thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you, Sister Jenna. Take care, dear. All the best. Thank you. That was Susan Falter from the wonderful author of The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care and Do Less, Achieve More, and Live the Life You Want. Her website is Susan, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, Falter, F-A-L-T-E-R.com. Nobody can really begin to decode what it must feel like for a mother, especially, to lose a child. And sometimes if you do have to take a year or two off, just to try to figure out why and how and what to do, do it. But do seek out for friends and do seek out for people who can hold you up in the midst of the challenging time and just understand that whatever it is that you need to go through is okay. So if you'd like some more information, do contact Suzanne. I'm sure she'll be able to offer you some support as well on her support group. That's SuzanneFalter.com. I hope you liked our conversation today on America Meditating Radio. Feel free to drop us a line on our Facebook or email us at info at americameditating.org. Don't forget to keep in touch. We're doing advertisements. If you'd like to add ties on America Meditating Radio, you're welcome to do so. And if you have anything, any topic that you'd like us to explore, feel free to send that in so that we can expand our horizon and our conversations that we have here with incredible people online. I'm going to end the show with Lifted by Bliss, and as I always close my show, remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we really are here to love each other the same. Remember to take your 30 seconds of silence every hour in the hour and practice your traffic control. Take care, everyone. Be well.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.